You're listening to Don't Waste Water. KG Wave has a change in investment preferences, so not only care about financial return, but also about the impact. I think that's pretty good and that's going to change the industry. Hello, bonjour, and welcome to the Don't Waste Water podcast. I think something people and investors definitely don't realize is how whole economy is working because we have a steady supply of water. I'm your host Antoine Valter and in today's episode I'm happy to welcome back Nicolas Le Ravello as my guest. If you're used to unlimited and free supply of water and you don't even realize it's part of your business model because for forever you lie I'm just going to take the water from the lake and now if there is a drought and there's no water available then you start realizing oh okay it's like Yeah, we need to do something about that. Nicolas is the founder of White Stag Investing and the author of a book called Stories in Water Sustainability and Investing. Once investors and asset managers and economic decision makers know the real value of water, they're going to change the decision about water and they're going to start preserving it. So it's really using market forces to uh, to value water. White Stag Investing is a research platform for responsible investments focusing on sustainability as a source of value and stability in the long term. Water could be anecdotal in an investment strategy. After all, as a sector, it weights less than 1% of the world's GDP. So, at first sight, it sounds like a topic for the most convinced impact investors only. Yet, on the second look, water is on the critical path for many other sectors. Indeed, which industry can boast of being able to run without water? Which building can deem to be entirely safe from any flooding or extreme climate event? And that still totally skips all the sectors that rely on water's quality for the finished good. All of a sudden, water becomes much less anecdotal. It rather becomes a direct and indirect economic risk. And this turns it, as a matter of fact, into an interesting field to investigate for investors, analysts and asset managers. Now, if we look at the other side of that same coin, there's a great opportunity for the water industry to understand the implications of that economic story. Because that's what differentiates between water and wastewater treatment being a cost to be in business and the same players being solution providers that secure a sector's future. Shall we explore it? Well, while you buckle up, let me remind you that if you like what you hear, you can help me up tremendously by sharing that content around you. So please tell your friends, colleagues or LinkedIn network what you learned or found inspiring in what Nicolas shares today. And if you don't like what you hear, please reach out to me and tell me what I should be doing differently or better. Come on, do it and I'll meet you on the other side. You're listening to Don't Waste Water, the podcast that helps water professionals to improve their wastewater treatment, optimize their operation costs, and keep up with the latest market trends. This podcast is brought to you by GF Piping Systems. As a leading supplier of piping systems made of plastics and metal, GF Piping Systems is the global expert for the safe and reliable transportation of water, chemicals, and gas. For more information, visit gfps.com. Hi, Nicolas. Welcome Hi, back to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you for the invitation. So you're one of these twice guests on that podcast. Yeah. There's only <laughs> one ahead of you. It's Rabbit Levy, who was there three okay. times. So now okay, you have some cool. pressure. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I can come back next year too. Yeah. <laughs> I'll recap a bit what we discussed sure, last yeah. time. But yeah. just before, I'd like to open with our good tradition, which is the postcard. Yeah. And actually, we are sending a postcard together from Zurich because we yeah. sit in one of these fancy places. Yeah. 
But what can you tell me about Zurich, which I would still ignore by now? It's a very sunny day today. We got lucky and we got super lucky, I would say, also over the winter to have a lot of sun. So sunny Zurich, yeah. <laughs> that was our advice yeah, as exactly. the tourism office. <laughs> yeah. Now I would say that Zurich is really a city where it changes a lot by, uh, by the season. Like in winter, everyone is a bit inside, having maybe a beer or a glass of wine inside. But as soon as the sun comes around, like... It's like the city flourish like a flower and like there's like terraces everywhere you can go in the water it's like there's a lot of life in it yeah there's a terrace here yeah I, i was thinking maybe let's do it outside but i think you already have some background now it's from our place so maybe yeah. outside would have been a bit uh, yeah. we can get a coffee afterwards maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so when we discussed roughly one year ago on that microphone you showed us how finance could unlock something in the water sector and i think that's quote unquote what you said finance can unlock something mm -hmm. And how that was good news, because there's this element of finance mm. can be maybe something that people are afraid of. You explain how different investor profiles would see different appealing aspects mm -hmm. in the scattered water industry, from the utility bedrock that makes for a safe bet for pension funds, up mm -hmm. to the dynamic startup scene that's attractive for venture capital. And you've told us how that made finance a kind of engineering space where mm -hmm. investment research and consulting companies like Whitestack, your company, mm -hmm. can build sustainable portfolios in all the exceptions of sustainability. So okay. hopefully profitable, but also with a positive societal and environmental impact. And you see yeah. how I put profitable first, Yeah, which is already a question. Shall we put profitable first or the impact first? I think it really depends what you want to do. I mean, if you're an investor, you want to make a change and an impact, then you can put the impact first. It really depends a bit of the, the owner of the capital and what he really wants to do. And you can be a family offices that is a bit more conservative and just cares about the wealth of your family over time. And then You put like the financial first, but you can also have, maybe want to have an impact on the side, you know. Pension funds, they need to care about the financial because otherwise they're not going to be able to pay the liabilities to people. But they still have a pressure from their constituents to have an impact. Yeah, I mean, it really depends of the capital owner and what you want to do. I mean, you can be like also a family or a VC fund that really cares about solving water issues and you go on the impact full on, yeah. Actually, I, I warned you last time, yeah. I have to warn you again this time yeah. <laughs> of the fact that I'm really a finance layman and I'm happy being a finance layman. Yeah. So I'm trying to simplify things that yeah. I get them. I think and in that preparation, I was looking a bit how big is impact, how big yeah. is ESG and so yeah. far. And from what I found, ESG investments is about 15% of the investments worldwide, which would make about $35 trillion, if yeah. I'm right. Yeah. And inside this ESG, one person is impact yeah. and that would make about 350 billion dollars i had the discussion with john robinson on that microphone and when i said that yeah. he told me no that is an oversimplification that's not how we would define the general pockets in the market yeah, so yeah. would you agree with this i mean i haven't looked at the latest numbers i think it's roughly that maybe a bit it will say even a bit more actually maybe 1.5 billion for impact and let's say 40 percent for ESG. But I think it's right in a sense that, I mean, ESG is a lot of different things. When you design your investment strategy and how do you want to integrate sustainability, there's a thousand ways to do it. So you can either start with a basic screening methodology. You say, okay, we don't invest at all in, in guns, in oil and gas, in mining operation. That's one way to do it. Or you say, okay, we have an engagement methodology. So we engage with the oil and gas industry, trying to reduce their externalities, their methane pollutions, the problem, all the problems linked to fracking and everything. So... You can also have an impact by engaging with your companies and saying you should not do that, do this. Or you can have like, a, I would say, a targeted approach where you say, okay, we we really believe that climate change or the water crisis is, is a huge problem and that the solution for these problems are going to be needed and are going to be 
valuable in their own right. And you can just target the best solutions and create a portfolio out of this. So yeah, I mean, I would say the ESG wave is it's quite massive and I think it would take... Talking of uh, that e ESG wave, because uh, when we discussed one year ago, it was about is there sufficient finance to, to feed the water industry and uh, we're saying, you were explaining that finance can unlock something, but uh, we're also saying maybe finance is not yet to that point. And uh, you're saying you have to evangelize and to keep explaining everyone. And uh, now we have the did ESG I say wave. <laughs> I think, I think that so. was my oversimplification. Yeah, but maybe, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But when we see now the ESG wave everybody yeah. keeps referring to yeah. nowadays, do you think that went too far? And is it a bubble? Well, I think I would say first that there's definitely a lot of interest from um, retail investors. So like um, you, me, and like personal, I mean, I would say not ultra wealthy people too, that really care about like sustainable challenges, like solving climate change, solving water. So there's definitely an interest for this and also from also um, from some family offices or ultra high networks or very rich families they want to have an impact and then it's like how do you translate that in intangible products genuine in financial products that does have an impact and i think that's the whole that's the whole deal now so i would say the esg wave has a change in investment preferences so not only care about financial return but also about the impact i think that's pretty good and that's going to change the industry because Now you, you design your investment strategy not only about risk and, and return, but on a third dimension. And then I think it's going to be a process of be going too far, going back, coming in. But at the end of the day, I think what matters is whether your investment strategy is legit. Like if you really have an investment process that cares about impact, that you do either an engagement methodology or you do a specific targeting of the best solution. There's also a dark side where a lot of Asset managers use that as a tool to raise more assets and or just surfing this greenwashing wave. When you say investment methodology, yeah. and ESG, yeah. really from my perspective, sounds sometimes a bit blurry. You can yeah. have your own definition of E, of S, of G, and 100%, then define yeah. it to be really green or really sustainable or yeah. really having an impact when yeah. in fact, objectively, maybe it's not really the case. So 100%, yeah. is there a structured way to build an ESG portfolio? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's the whole deal, this whole exercise. It's like, uh, it's like re rebuilding a car with a new, changing your gas engine to, to electric engine, you know? So somehow you have to remove the engine, you have to change all the things and put a new engine and make sure that everything still works. So you had an investment process where before, I don't know, you were caring about the volatility. We don't invest in stocks that are too risky or too volatile. We want a target return between, I don't know, five, five, five and 15. And that's it. Now you have like a third kind of dimension. Like now we also want an impact or at least a sustainable, I would say sustainable consideration. So kind of change the parameters in your modelization, in your uh, in your analysis. So Yet, if I recall my discussion uh, with uh, Claudia Winkler and Alice Schmidt on that microphone, uh, in their sustainability puzzle book, they explain uh, how we have this Mickey Mouse thinking uh, where you have Profit is the head yeah. of Mickey, yeah. and then you have environment and uh, and society, which are the ears of Mickey. So they exist; okay. yeah. they are part of the assessments, but yeah. they are by far not central, like profit would be. Yeah, I mean that's that can be uh, that can be one way to to approach it. Well, I mean, them that was yeah. the wrong approach, but the approach that too many people keep following. Yeah, I think the financial is still the main consideration for a lot of investors. I wrote an article, uh, I think two years ago, about why people care about sustainability. So I think that the first level is like, oh, you see that as a, oh, people care about sustainability. I can just put some words in my in my fact sheet that are sustainable and I can raise assets from sustainable investors. So that's kind of like a, using sustainability as a marketing tool, even if you don't give, 
give a damn about it and you say, oh, that's, I can increase my 10%. That's one way. I mean, that's like the greenwashing way. That comes at your own risk because if you say that you do sustainability and then you don't, and then maybe those clients, they're going to come back and then it's like reputation issue. So kind of greenwashing at that stage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's pure greenwashing and some people can use it as a way to make money. But if you do that, you're gonna, there's going to be a risk. It's like being dishonest. Like, it's just simply not true. <laughs> mm -hmm. You have other investors that see sustainability more as a compliance. So they have the traditional financial investments. And now like they have this uh, pressure from society or from the investors to care about sustainability. So they kind of see, oh, we have to deal with sustainability. So how can we do that? So those kind of investors, usually they're going to rely on frameworks, on ratings in a way to justify their investment. So they do like simple screening. Okay, so we're just going to tick this box. And that's okay. Sustainability is, deal is dealt with. And that's really a compliance then you have more sophisticated investors that see that as a risk sustainable issues are changing the world and changing the economy and if you don't take care of them you might lose your investments so you have to integrate those consider consideration in your risk management process then the two other layers is like they see that as an opportunity so that's the other side of the, the risk the risk discussion and they see new opportunities investing in water tech, climate tech, or all, all the kind of solutions that are going to solve global issues. And I would say the last is people that really care about the impact, they invest for impact. And, the, the, uh, this third level of risk, yeah. I, I think, it is the hurt of your latest article. So I yeah. think it's also what I'd like to discuss yeah, with you. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Just before yeah. we go into that, in this ESG wave, yeah. I had Renat Hübner on that microphone explaining yeah. that, to quote him, not to, uh, yeah. to change his <laughs> yeah. word, there's too much stupid money chasing too few good targets. So that would yeah, mean so yeah. ESG is full of investors looking ah. for companies to invest in, and they're not that much good companies. Something what, which Christopher Gaston said in, in different words, mm -hmm. also on that microphone, when he said that we should not complain about the ESG wave at all, but ah. we should make sure that there are projects for that money to be efficient. Yeah. 100%, yeah. I definitely think in the public equities, water funds, like the likes of Pictet or Rebecca Sam, and Picta is managing almost 10 billion now in investing in water stocks. Rebecca was on 4 million and there's been a lot of interest and a lot of money going there. I think there's definitely a lot of too much capital for the number of water companies there, there exist. And that's why I think a lot of them had a high, a lot of, I would say, a high valuation. But I think this is also due to the fact that you had a lot of liquidity on markets over the last 10 years from the quantitative easing from the central banks. So the central banks were pulling a lot of money they were like expanding the monetary mass in the market to support the economy and support job growth and support the whole economy going. And that's this kind of, if you expand the pool of money, you are, you run the risk of inflation. And usually inflation is in, eco uh, in the economy. But I think in the last 10 years, they were in asset prices. I mean, if you look at the market since the financial crisis, it was almost like this, like almost like a straight line up. So I think the high valuation we see, at least in the public equity water market, is not because of the water, not only, but also because of market factor that valuation were in general high because there was a lot of liquidity in the market. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it's going to develop now that the economic inflation is high, that probably banks are going to start raising rates. So they're going to like pull back the money. So when there's less money in the economy, the valuation is going to go down because people are just have less. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how things going to normalize and i think that's also going to impact the private equity and the venture capital because there's also going to be less money so the valuation will probably go down a bit but that being said i still think that the fundamental reason to invest in water is still here we need those solutions climate change is going to aggravate the whole water crisis we're going to need solutions to deal with water scarcity around the globe with the floods 
and uh, so that's not going away. Actually, uh, th th those are some of the risks which you yeah. list in your article. Yeah, and, yeah. and your article is, if you read it, I mean, out of the blue, yeah. you just start reading your article and like, oh my God, water is really troublesome because yeah. there is the floods, there yeah. is the risk. If you don't have water, then your industry is down because it's on the critical path. Yeah. And you list all those risks. And what is your intention with that? Is it to scare people and say, look, <laughs> there, there's a big problem? Uh, yeah, I don't know if I'm in to be a scarecrow. Or <laughs> but I think something I was not seeing in the sustainable space or in the investment space, I think something people and investors definitely don't realize is how whole economy is working because we have a steady supply of water. I mean, I think that's the foundation of society. Since the last ice age, humanity can uh, develop itself around the water lines, around rivers, around uh, lakes, around freshwater sources. Slowly but surely, we, we build agriculture practice that was using this water. Then the water was used as a way for commerce. And then you, and in the last 200 years, it was used as a industrial input. I mean, you need water to factory medicines, drugs. You need water to, to create cement, for clothes, for, for pretty much anything, actually. And if you're used to unlimited and free supply of water, and you don't even realize it's part of your business model, because for forever, it's like, I'm just going to take the water from the lake. And now, if there is a drought and there's no water available, then you start realizing, oh, okay, it's like, yeah, we need to do something about that, you know. So you're saying that water has a huge value, which we don't realize because uh -huh. we have it. And it's yeah. this kind of thing, which if it vanishes and it disappears, then all of yeah. a sudden we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that was really at the core of everything. Yeah, I mean, I think most of the industrial business models in modern time, they rely on a free and steady supply of water and this is going away. So if they don't do something about it, then you might find yourself in a tough position. And that's kind of what uh, the message I wanted to get across, that pretty much all industries and all investments, I mean, the whole business and the whole valuation relies on this process to have a water to uh, to produce and to function. And if this water goes away, then your investment or your business is at risk. And to whom do you want that message to come across? I would say the entire uh, financial community and the economic community. I mean, pretty much anyone, actually. I think it's really but also you, about your primary target. It is really the primary target is really uh, the asset managers, investors, and uh, and and the financial community. And that's kind of, I would say, my way of having impact. If I can do my part in showing, in valuing water in financial market, and in the economy, then the whole idea is that once investors and asset managers and economic decision makers know the real value of water, they're going to change the decision about water and they're going to start preserving it. So it's really using market forces to uh, to value water. And once it's valued, Allah, we cannot pollute it, we cannot disregard it, then somehow the whole economic machine starts to protect it. So an asset manager reads uh, your article uh, and reads one of the scary stories inside, yeah. like, like the semiconductors in Taiwan, yeah. all of a sudden no water, which means you stop producing because yeah, yeah, because there's, there's no, no other way around. There's no water, <laughs> yeah. and so how does he react to that? You, you say it will influence their ways to look at water, but yeah. in, in concrete step, will they? I mean, they are still asset managers. They yeah. are not people which are really dealing with the water. So it's really their money, which is gonna. So it's an indirect impact. Yeah, yeah, it's it is an indirect. I mean, my feelings at the moment is that it's the whole sustainability story. I think people. I think now there's a realization, financial system in the financial community that sustainability, climate change, and the water crisis, and biodiversity is important and defines the survivability of the economy. So I think there's this realization that without that, we don't have an economy, we don't have money. I mean, the survivability of an asset manager is dependent on nature, keep on on being healthy and working. But then it's a bit like a decision, like 
Should we change everything we've been doing to make it more sustainable now? Should we wait a bit what the others are doing? And there's a bit like a process on. And I think there's also like some asset manager can stay invested in oil because I like to use a baseball mat, uh, analogy for this. Like this is the, la the last innings, the last 11, 12, 11 or 12, uh, but there still can be a, a lot of activity there. And so I think some man asset manager can start investing in new sustainable solution and be at the same time still being invested in oil and gas because they can still make the last pocket of money that is uh, exploitable in this thing. So an asset manager can approach the transition, like the whole coming from a business as usual investment practice to a sustainable investment practice in a way that is not necessarily the what would be ideal from a climate perspective. So if you help them click and realize yeah. a bit earlier, you're shifting the timeline because that's something they would have Yeah, done. I mean, that's really what I'm trying to do. And I think that's really what I see. It's really a switch because mm -hmm. I'm always trying to put water as as a culprit, I don't know if it's the right word in English, <laughs> as a, how the entire investment thesis relies on this. And once uh, once I make this case, people, it's like, it's really like a switch. And then they understand perfectly and they have an idea to where to start, what to do. And I think that's kind of all the articles I've been writing for the last year. It's about this. It's like, I mean, it's like Tesla that has been investing 5 billion in its Brandenburg factory to which is seen by by most analysts as the as a way to dominate the Euro European market or at least grow its presence in the European market. But the reality is that the groundwater reserves in Brandenburg are going down. So Tesla got the license from the environmental office of the Brandenburg state, but the environmental office got sued by the local farmers and communities. And somehow now it's legal uh, legal gridlock and Tesla is stuck. So the, it's... Uh, this, its entire success of its new investments depends on whether you're going to get water or not. I think. Which is a very, let's say funny, it's not the right term, but yeah. a, a funny story because yeah. actually you can solve that in the case of Tesla yeah. with creating the biggest atmospheric water generator ever, which is a story I like to cover on that podcast, yeah. which has a lot of ins and outs, but yeah. it sounds like you're just raising the financial bar of the value of water and at a certain point it crosses the line of how much it costs to create water from 100%, air yeah. and then you do water from air. 100%. and. It can sound like there's a solution to everything, and usually that's the way yeah. we treat desalination. I mean, you don't have water, just desalinate water, and there's yeah. oceans everywhere, so you find water. Yeah. And on the other hand, it could be just shifting the problem, because what happens to the climate if all of a sudden you start to really use all the humidity to, to produce question, yeah. batteries? And that's nobody knows, and maybe nothing, yeah. but still nobody knows. That's so, a good question. I mean, when I looked at the technology, that was one of my main concerns. You're right. still uh, altering the water cycle in a way that is not known. I mean, you can do environmental modeling and reports to have an idea of what it's going to impact, but who knows? But at the same way, it can also, I mean, water vapor is also a greenhouse gas. So the strongest of all. So the strongest of all, exactly. So it can also be a way to reduce, to work as a climate mitigator. It's the greenest way, just we yes. don't know. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's, I think we're really entering in an era where, where there's a lot of unknown, like many technologies. I think I was also skeptical about all this carbon removal from the earth. Like what happens when you start messing with the carbon cycles, the water, I mean, I'm not a climate scientist. I understood that so far that the carbon is like uni unified in the, around the planet. So that's somewhat okay. And, but I think a lot of new technologies now is going to be at a planetary scale that's changed the planetary systems. And then sooner or later, we're going to have to understand really how that works and make sure that we don't screw it up. You say there are a lot of unknowns and I think yeah. you're fully right with that. Yeah. For a financial professional, yeah. 
that sounds like like the worst which can happen uh -huh. because if you have to make bets on the future and uh -huh. safe investments and everything I mean, unknown and risk is not really what you have at the hurt. And if you look at the pyramid we had last time, uh -huh. we were discussing with the bedrock, the people which uh -huh. are lo really looking for safe bets. And then on the top of that pyramid, the, the venture capitalists, which can absolutely deal with risk. Uh -huh. It sounds like those guys are now in the middle of their environment everywhere. Uh -huh. But the ones which are looking for very safe investment, what is safe in That's the new world? a great question. I mean, there's usually an analogy that when you build uh, an investment portfolio or, or your bank account, you see that as a vault that you, I'm just going to create something safe uh, on, the, on the ground and with thousand walls and that's safe. But if you build that and there's a flooding and then maybe all, the, all your, your banknotes in the vault are, are getting watered and your whole reserve is gone. So I think a good analogy to see investments is also more about like, you, like building a ship, like you're building a, an investment process. It's like building a ship and trying to cross the Atlantic like uh, Vikings before or, or Europeans in the 16 and see where that goes. But I think uh, dealing with uncertainty and, and risk is probably the, the job of asset managers. But when you look at the, I don't know how to call them, the, let's say the, the finance community. Yeah. Do you see many people which have the same approach than you and which try to go to the bottom of things and to understand them and hence yeah. have an informed view and know where to put their eggs and which baskets are the safest? Or do they rely on people like you to indicate them the trends and where are those baskets if they are maybe hidden from yeah, plain sight? Yeah, I mean, that's really what I, how I see my job is being uh, informing the, how the investment consideration are changing with climate change and the water uh, scarcity issues and, and biodiversity. So then it's really up to every investor. Some, they don't really want to know, they don't care, and they're just going to invest their money. Others really see that as a risk or an opportunity, so they're going to change their decision. Okay, we're not going to invest in this anymore, but we're going to invest in that. No, I definitely see a lot of managers that sees sustainability as an opportunity now. I think the likes of BlackRock, the main ones, they understand, I think, that we need to change society now. I mean, the way it's built is not aligned with nature anymore, so that's not going to work. And in this change, it's like rebuilding society, you know? I mean, there's a huge opportunity for people that can see, that, that want to seize them. It's like rebuilding entire infrastructure, the entire cities, the entire way the economy is built. And if you finance the right solution, then it's like... But that, that starts with awareness. Yeah, and yeah. there's one quote for, from you, yeah. which you say that, that water represents less than 1% of GDP, yeah. yet it influences over 99% of GDP. Yeah, yeah. And once you've been looking at the water industry, at the water sector, or industry in general, and the role of water into, yeah. that's absolutely clear. And that yeah. sounds even obvious. Yeah, but you know, yeah. it's like the halo effect. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Before <laughs> you break the halo, yeah. You just don't realize it. Uh, and what is the level of awareness you see out there? When you say that, are people so, saying, oh God, we all know that? Uh, or On water, I see little. And that's my job, actually. I see it. it's like really, I would say, an awareness and an education process by an, all the posts and articles I write on a daily basis. And I feel it's clicking in. So more and more, there's more and more engagement with my post and conversation that they understand. Like, And that's what I'm trying to do always, is like treat, going for this switch. So, Look, I mean, we have an economy because we have a su steady supply of water. And if that goes away, then it's like energy actually is the same. I mean, if you're trying to run a business without electricity, I mean, it's... Yeah, <laughs> th there were electrical yeah. blackouts. So yeah. people realized that. Yeah. That's a bit the doom of the water yeah. sector is that 
most of countries and most of places, yeah. except for the one which lived day zero or the one which really like Taiwan had yeah. to, to shut down their yeah. semiconductor industry, they just never had the problem. Yeah. And probably when you have the problem, it's already too late. So you have to react before. Yeah, and that makes the risks more pernicious. I mean, as you said, in electricity, when there was a blackout, oh, you understand that we need a reliable source of energy. But in water, it's more like, I mean, that's a good question now. Like, how do you invest going forward based on water and climate risks that you don't really know? I mean, you can read the IPCC report. They say they have several levels of confidence, like floods are going to increase by this, droughts are going to be increased by that. But you don't, you don't really have, I mean, you're an engineer, like, how do you plan this kind of water resilience going forward? There's a lot of, you can say, oh, maybe we wait another three, four or five years, see how it happens. So should we go with a big buffer? Should we aim for like four degrees world and build like strong resilience thing or is something in between? And I think that's not an easy decision. No? Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, in the engineering world, yeah. there's a bit this element of historically our infrastructure was built on probability. Yeah. Like there is one out of 1000 chances or yeah. risks that, that this happens. Yeah. And hence we build our dams, our, yeah. I mean, the yeah, full hydraulic yeah. infrastructure yeah. on that. And now we have a shift. The shift means that probably the events are going to be bigger, yeah. but we don't have data. Yeah. So it's like, let's take a guesstimate yeah. and let's say we redimension everything yeah. because we still have to have this one out of 1000 yeah. probability because people won't accept yeah. to be flooded every, every second yeah. year but we just don't have data the, we, we know yeah. something is shifting yeah. but, but we don't have that historical track record anymore when we can really build upon it yeah. and that is challenging because that is yeah i mean i think you understand it well it's like you build your infrastructure based on a set of probabilities so you, you create a buffer for the uncertainty now these probabilities are changing, but you don't know how they're changing and how much. So the buffer, you need to adjust the buffer and it's tough. I think it's going to be a decision going forward, like how much you invest for this buffer, how much the buffer should be now for to account for climate change. We didn't have like this blackout that put the, the awareness on the map, but I think now it's a couple of examples that happened like with Tesla or with other. Actually, the interesting thing is that probably if you look at the risk side of things, yeah. the blackout wouldn't be the biggest risk yeah. though that's my very subjective feeling yeah. because if you don't have water yes everything is stopped yeah. but as soon as you can find a new source of water and yeah, we are very imaginative yeah. you, you'll find you, you correct the thing yeah. but the other extreme which we've seen in europe not that far ago and in the us not that far ago as well yeah. is when you have all of a sudden far too much water i mean floods i mean yeah. uh, all these climatic events which yeah. we will we all feel we will see them more yeah. but react to those it is much more difficult because yeah. you cannot just press a button and have less <laughs> and have a technology which just vaporizes that and sends it back to the atmosphere, reverse atmospheric water generation, yeah. like cloud generation. No, you need to build new uh, resilient infrastructure, like either pumps to storm. I mean, there's a whole entire storm water infrastructure Absolutely. that has but to be built. Yeah. In terms of capital, that's a fully different scale. Yeah. I mean, there you are. I mean, when you're building something to desalinate a bit more water mm -hmm. or get atmospheric water generation it has a fixed cost which you can calculate and yeah, estimate yeah, yeah. and it's going to be in use yeah. and on the other hand flood prevention is something which is very capital intensive yeah. and might be absolutely not used for 10 or 20 years yeah exactly but if you didn't do it and in 25 years there's a massive flood and you yeah <laughs> you're on the water yeah. <laughs> so. but the, yeah. this assessing the financial i mean there yeah. the, the risk and financial yeah. link is absolutely clear because yeah. you, you have to be i mean that's money that which you're going to you're just going to invest in, in some concrete, in some yeah. stones. And once it's there, it's blocked for centuries. Yeah, yeah. So that is a difficult equation to solve on the financial side. Yeah. 
but I think the first step is really to get that awareness. If if I can aim for this and succeed, that's really I think a big step, and that's also the whole process of valuing water, whether too much or too little. And, uh, in your article, yeah. you, you have that quote, which is that carbon is not all of the story in sustainability and water has a direct and material impact on businesses, bottom lines, and therefore you invest in strategy. And you think that water will become a new standard of ESG integration going forward as institutions grasp with the physical reality of climate change. Yeah. Which is exactly what we discussed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I have now a very broad question. Yeah. Sorry for that. <laughs> Please but, do. But how? I would say, how not? <laughs> <laughs> that Look, was an easy one. <laughs> Look, I think I think most of the sustainability discussion and ESG discussion was axed around carbon so far because I mean we need to mitigate emissions otherwise climate change is going to keep on increasing and getting worse. So that's I think carbon is the whole climate mitigation story. But at the same time we're already at a point that is we already suffering or we already have to deal with the effect of climate change so mm -hmm. far. And that's going to be the adaptation story. And I think that the adaptation story is going to be based around water because most of the effect of climate change are somewhat linked to, uh, to either too much or too little water. So droughts, storms, sea level rise. Climate change is disturbing the water cycles. So disturb the water security we have. And then we need to rebuild the infrastructure and the solution to make sure that... But how do you build an indicator for that, for water inside an ESG framework? That's a great that's a, that's a great question. And uh, that was one of my, my work within a private bank last year is like, How do you go from an investment process that is business as usual, so like traditional, to one that cares about climate and water risk? So my idea was like, okay, you look where you invested the most, and you yeah you have tools in the in the industry to tell you what are the water risks, how important they are uh, to a given industry, and then you can use that to to start modifying your investment process. So my my idea was like, okay, we look at most the industry that are most at risk with water. That can be oil and gas for the availability of water to frack and mining a lot. I mean, mining needs the water to, to mine as well. So you need, you, you're dependent on the water supply, but you can have issues with water pollution with putting all the chemicals you use for mining down by the river. But you're also vulnerable to, uh, to floods. So if there's a big flood, then your mine is on the water and it's also a problem. So my work was really to redesign the investment process by creating an engagement methodology. So let's say we have our, all of our in investments and we're going to start engaging with all the companies and the industries that have the higher water risk and said, okay, you go to them and you say, I mean, are you aware of this first? Are you aware that you're vulnerable to floods and droughts? If not, you try to make them aware. If they don't want to get aware, then you start an escalation process. You engage with the management. If the management doesn't want to engage, then you go with the board. And if they don't want, then you just, okay, let's... Let it fly. And, and then you can start designing a new engagement process whereby you ask your companies, your investments to take water risk assessments, trying to esti start estimating those risks. And if they're really vulnerable, you start defining KPIs. Uh, like, okay, those, let's say you, you invested in a beverage company, three or four factories are at high risk. What can you do to mitigate those risks? You know, so you can invest in your Uh, water recycling, water treatment, or on-site uh, solutions that are gonna reduce the risk of these companies. And slowly but surely, you start this. You start doing this with all your investments. First, taking a risk assessment, then defining KPIs for improvement, monitoring the improvement until they they have an acceptable, we'll say, risk return profile. And uh, then you start screening off the bad guy, the bad ones, and the ones that don't want to cooperate. Yeah. When you say risk assessment. Yeah. It's like evaluating the cost of inaction. What happens with the status quo? What would be the consequences of, of not doing anything? Yeah, that gives you a, a first yeah. cost. Yeah. 
and then you have the, the remediation possibilities. Yeah. And if the remediation possibilities are lower in cost than your cost of inaction, a, then it's a no-brainer. I would say even before you have, I mean, you have tool like the WF water risk filter, where companies can put their assets into the tool and get a report of what kind of water risk they are vulnerable to. Okay. You get the first assessment, okay, this factory in Mexico is extremely vulnerable to drought, pollution, and flood is okay. And then you get the first risk assessment. So you have a target, you have an idea of which water risk at play. And then you can start measuring it. Okay, how much cost the the water treatment or the water efficiency measure to mitigate this? And what would be the cost of not having water in a given year or second year? And then you can stack the whole financial calculation, yeah. And so that, that tool that you've developed yeah. for that private bank, yeah. I guess, is something which is then proprietary to them. Yeah. So is it that kind of approach that you have with all those players to help them map out and def- yeah, design yeah. their tools? Exactly. That's. I mean, that's kind of my job. And in a way, that's. I think that's what I find fascinating is designing investment process methodologies whereby you integrate sustainability and that change the entire way you, you allocate resources, you allocate money. So, yeah. <laughs> that's one part yeah. of your job. There's another part of your job, which is probably the most visible part of your job, is yeah. that I mentioned your yeah. articles are usually very detailed, so it's almost a book chapter. <laughs> and actually, you went that extra step because yeah. you've been, since the last time we discussed, you've yeah. been writing a book. Yeah. And if I'm right, you're crowdfunding for yeah. a second book. So yeah. how is that part of your ecosystem? Well, look, I started my company three years ago and starting to look at water from a finance perspective three years ago. And my process was really, I would say, explorative. When I quit my job three years ago in the finance industry, I really took the time to to understand what I really wanted to do. And I looked for the SDGs for inspiration. So how can I contribute to a bigger goal? And for me, it was pretty clear at the beginning that uh, water was linked to all other SDGs. But that's, uh, I mean, if you don't have water right, nothing is right. So for me, I saw that really as a way to have a great impact. And uh, then it was really like, an, I would say, an explorative process, lacking to start, okay, what is going on in the water world? So starting to connect with as many water professionals or investment professionals as I could, start reading as much as I could on every book, every research piece, every article around water, and then starting to form my own opinion. And I was doing that by writing on LinkedIn pretty much every day for two years now. It's kind of building public. Pre- exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit that, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and surely, slowly but surely, I kind of build up uh, my own literature, my own database of articles, of resources. And recently I've packaged this as in all my, my best LinkedIn article into a book, uh, which I can sell on my website. What I'm trying to write about is really how the economy is changing with all climate change and water scarcity and what's the new status quo, basically. And from all my LinkedIn posts, were a bit like of a small bit of the puzzle here and there of what I see. And I'm trying to work on this to build mosaic, the jigsaw, to yeah. build, to build <laughs> the entire jigsaw, the entire mosaic. And yeah, my book was a bit of a collection of the, the pieces of the puzzle, not really in a structured way because I don't see the whole thing yet. But then my bigger article is really trying to build on on different subjects in water and until I, I can cover everything. So, Is it possible to cover everything? Well, I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try, but I find it fascinating. I mean, you have so much going on in water. I mean, I started with the public equity funds where there's a lot of interest. There's a lot of uh, capital going there. And then I went into the stocks themselves, the companies, what were they offering, how that was working, then the VC, private equity. You have a lot of different topics and you have a, like water macro finance with water.org. 
which I think is fascinating. They managed to create a blended finance structure to attract private capital to finance water security around the developing world. And then you have also like initiative like Blue Peace. I don't know if you know about where it's an initiative of the Swiss government to invest in water infrastructure in developing countries in a way to secure peace. So the idea is that there might be war because of the lack of water. So if you invest in water infrastructure, then the reason for war is going away. So somehow you can invest in peace by investing in water infrastructure, which I think is a great idea. <laughs> that, that's a very and interesting uh, yeah. question because sometimes I wonder if having a water tropism yeah. isn't influencing the way we look at the world and maybe sometimes a bit distorting the word because I've seen Michael Stanley Dorfer and yeah. I think yourself yeah, yeah, yeah. as well discussing on how the it's going to be difficult as a topic but all everything happening in Ukraine right now is linked to water mm. how Ukraine cutting the water to Crimea which have mm. been taken over by, by, by Russia in 2014 was yeah. the root cause and I have no clue if that's it's just an example what I'm wondering here is that we have this lens of looking at water yeah. with this Water is less than one person of GDP influences yeah. the other 99%. So if yeah. you look at water, probably you see the, the truth. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, isn't that sometimes a bit too extreme to say water is all and everything and everything can be linked back to water? Uh, It's a tricky question. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to tell you, actually. But I think that's the truth. I mean, I think all, uh, all species as a human, as a species, is here on this planet because of water. I mean, we made mostly about water. Civilization developed so well from the last ice age because we had a lot of fresh water from the melting of the last glacier. So I think our entire story is based on water. And if you look at all the indigenous or all the culture around the world, the origin story is always about water. So I think water from a physical, scientific, or even from a <coughs> cultural or spiritual way, I mean, we are water. I think that's not too much of a stretch to... <laughs> Let, that. <laughs> let me save you from my tricky sidetrack. Yeah, sure, uh, <laughs> let's come back. I was wondering, we discussed so far how the finance people yeah. shall look at water and how that shall influence the way they invest, they yeah, build their portfolios and everything. Yeah. I'm wondering now if you look at the other side of the story, yeah. if you're a water company yeah. and you need some capital to, yeah. to thrive in the future, yeah. how do you have to shape and adapt yourself to be attractive for investors? That's a great question. That's a great question. Well, I mean, I would first say that with climate change and the ongoing water scarcity, water crisis, I mean, the water companies are going to be the ones that deal with these issues. So I think the number of problems are going to go up and the water companies are going to be responsible for that. So I think there's going to be definitely enough business for them and interest to, to stay active. I mean, I think that's the whole value proposition to invest in water companies because they're going to stay in business throughout climate change and deal with everything. So... They're always gonna have. They're always gonna be active and generate profit. So that's, in some sense, this is a, sec a long-term security for investors. But so, on, on the other side of that yeah. same coin, it's sometimes if you look at the pitches of any water companies, yeah. like, look, we are saving the world, hence we are selling activated carbon, and yeah. people will start get pissed from the activated carbon industry because yeah. I always take that example. I have yeah. nothing against activated carbon. It's just like. Yeah. To me, an example of how it's hard sometimes to connect things. Yeah. 785 people don't have access to, yeah. to clean water. My technology is fantastic. And in between, there's no direct link. So I'm wondering if those arguments are attractive enough for financial people or if sometimes they want to have a bit more meat on the bone, which will force the water companies to be a bit more mm. practical about saying there's that problem and we solve for that problem, like really, not just with words. 
eventually you have to prove that you're solving an issue otherwise you just err if you just <laughs> pretend to do something over and over then you don't do it then i mean the job of financial people is to do this investment diligence to see if we give this money to this person he's going to do what he says he's going to do otherwise you're just throwing money out of the window so I think being honest about what your core mission is and your core values and what you intend to do and do it, that's the best way to to, to attract long-term capital, you know. Then it's the whole deal of financing. It's trying to make some room in all the, what you hear every day and uh, every day in the news to, to see if it's true. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I think having a good business, be sure about what you do and uh, do it well. I think that's the best, <laughs> that's the best you can do. You, uh, you mentioned you, you created Whitestack three years ago. Yeah. How did the landscape evolve over these three years? I would say that sustainability has definitely gone mainstream. When I started, it was still, I would say, a fringe of the of finance. You're like, oh, that's good. Yeah, let's do that on the side. And but it really got big quite fast. Actually, I was a bit surprised. And how I was uh, for me when I started, I said, okay, maybe that's I'm going to be in the fringe of the discussion for maybe five or six years. But I mean, after one or two years, I mean, the whole sustainable story almost get. I mean, now every asset manager put sustainability in its front page. That's the That's been the discussion at the moment. So I would say that really sustainability has become the hottest topic now, the hot, the thing to be dealt with. But then it's like, how do you do it right now? And that's the whole deal. So that's looking in the mirror. Yeah. Now if I look in the crystal ball, yeah. what do you intend to achieve over the next five, 10 years? And for me, it's really this... What I really what I really like to do is designing investment process, investment funds, portfolio constructions. Uh, as I said, as re I'm really seeing it as a, as an engineering ex exercise. How can you design a structure that pull resources from one place to where it needs to go to create something? So whether that could be helping a VC private equity fund to design to select companies or having an investment process in there through public equity funds and also designing their portfolio construction strategy. So, Is it natural for those players to seek help externally? No, that's something quite new, I would say. I mean, usually they, are, they do, a lot of people do something in-house, but I see a lot of new asset managers that are more interesting to work with extend specialists and do joint venture and going that way. So I think that's also changing in the industry, yeah, for sure. Because for them, it's going to be hard to have a subject matter expert like you are in-house. Yeah but not all of their investment will be water-related, so yeah. maybe they don't need you for the yeah, full I mean, portfolio, but for a yeah, section I mean, of it. Yeah, I mean, that's usually how I try to work, like uh, if I can help on a given project, uh, maybe designing methodology or designing an investment process, then they and then also support in the implementation. I come, I build something, and then maybe I go away, and then maybe I come back to build another some, something else. Yeah. It's really how I work, yeah. You escaped my question <laughs> on your second book. Yeah. Is it still an active project? Because you have so many things yeah, ongoing, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I have pretty much an idea of everything I want to write. So I'm really dedicating one chapter to to one type of investment. So I started with public equities, uh, then with uh, companies, stocks, and uh, then startups and VC. And now with risk in the broader economy. And then I also want to write about microfinance, about the blue piece, piece and also um, water bonds. So yeah, there's a lot of <laughs> things I want to say. And I think somehow it's all going to come up into one book. Yeah. The goal, uh, what I really want to show is how can you invest in water and not in the community itself, but all the infrastructure to, to secure water. And how is that an investment for the future? Because, I mean, we need this to adapt our societies to, to climate change. Yeah. I had some weeks ago a discussion yeah. on that microphone with Katrina Donahy from Civic Ledger yeah. to discuss 
the, the rollout of Water Ledger in Australia and all the applications of, of cryptocurrencies and blockchain to, to the water sector. Yeah. And if I recall right, the first person ever to mention the combination of water and blockchain to me yeah. was you. Oh, yeah? Is this something <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> which you're in, in, involved with? No, mm -hmm. not really. I mean, I followed the, I don't remember the name of the company. Civic Ledger. Civic Ledger, yeah. Yep. I think that's interesting. I think I think the use of blockchain for designing marketplace and using the token technology, a way to secure, provide security and transparency in marketplace, I think that's a good idea. I think when we had the last interview, I just saw that and I think it was interesting, but I didn't, I'm not involved in, in any capacity yet on a, such attack, yeah. Because you know, w what I'm trying to do uh, yeah. uh, with those interviews is always to try to connect the dots. Yeah. It's a bit like what you yeah. do with your building public with a LinkedIn post, which is yeah. a bit, every time I uncover a little portion and sometimes I get yeah. some links. And, and then, then you they try to see how this connects to your previous post and how, yeah, it's really, for me, it's really trying to put the pieces of the bigger picture and see how everything goes <laughs> together. You, you mentioned microcredits, and yeah. I don't know if you read the book of Gary White and Matt Damon, The Worth of Water. I didn't read the book, but I, I've read the... Everything they're doing, yeah. But they explain how water credit, yeah. so their, their microcredit yeah. product, performs with 99% return yeah, yeah. on the loans and how it's allowed to bring so many people out of water poverty, yeah. water-induced poverty. Yeah. And I was just wondering if there could be a connection between decentralized finance, yeah. which could be cryptocurrencies, which could be blockchain, which could be something more traditional, yeah. and microcredits, where they struggle to find an investment fund and tell them, instead of putting 5 billion yeah. or 5 million tickets in, inside yeah. a company, you'll have to put several 10 or 20, I think the average ticket for water credit is around $350. Yeah, yeah. And it's hard to go to an investment fund and say, look, yeah. you have to make tickets of 350 but if you go to decentralized finance, maybe that's an option. I don't want to open a full sidetrack because if uh, not, I have to block you for one more hour. <laughs> but just from the top of your... Yeah, it looks interesting. The way water.org and water equity, their asset management works is that they provide loans to local banks. So they have maybe in their portfolio, they have maybe 12, 12 loans, 20 big loans. And with the condition that these banks provide these microcredits. So there's yep. also this intermediation in between. And uh, yeah, I mean, you could use uh, you could use a technology, a blockchain technology there. I mean, what I really like about blockchain in general is really the transparency and the security you get. For example, I'm also in, involved in oceans a lot. And for me, for example, seafood is a great place, is a great industry where blockchain can really provide something because with the blockchain, the tokenization, you can really improve the traceability of your product through the supply chain. And that's something that is really an issue in the seafood sector because like 25% of the fish that is sold is mislabeled. So one out of four fish, you don't even know if it's really... One fish is the right so, fish or the other. And it's the same with algae as well. And algae are very specific properties in, in cosmetics, in health. And so you need to know exactly which species it is. So in, with the help of the blockchain technology, you can secure the information from where it was harvested, what time, what species it is and keep this information accurate throughout the supply chain. So for me, blockchain infrastructure as a digital infrastructure of your business is really uh, interesting for, uh, for sectors and industry that lacks transparency, I would say, and also efficiency and, and security. Yeah. It would yeah. be another deep yeah. dive. But <laughs> I'll come back next year. <laughs> exactly. You said you would be coming back next year. Yeah. So I think maybe yeah, uh, we sure. open the door, which yeah. we, we, we can follow next year. Yeah. Well. Nicola, it's been a pleasure to have this, this deep dive yeah. with you on, on the finance side of things and yeah. on everything you do within that world. I propose you to switch to rapid fire question to yeah, run sure. it off. Go ahead. It's time for the rapid fire questions. 
since the last time some of them changed but i'm not sure if all of them changed so yeah, let's see if your answers yeah, are the yeah, same yeah. my first question is what is the <laughs> most exciting project you've been working on yeah. and why i had many projects that are interesting uh, but i'd say like the one i discussed before like for this private bank of redesigning their entire investment process based around water i mean that was really interesting because it was really a top-down big strategy i mean it's like redesigning the strategy of the bank can you give a name and say it's ubs probably was uh, prefer not but uh, don't go into my tricks <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i mean it's really interesting when you start redesigning entire processes it's, i guess for you it's the same if you could build your own wastewater treatment plan so it's pretty exciting <laughs> if you can do it the way you want and uh, i think it's a good analogy because yeah. it's really you, you have one output one outcome yeah. and you have so many different ways yeah, to go from one to the others and you have to, to define yeah. which one is the yeah right and one. you have to redesign it in a way that is to a change environment so you need to account to new issues new problems new parameters and to make sure that this new project is going to survive the new status quo that's pretty exciting can you name one thing that you've learned the hard way i would say it's i think nothing is given you always have to push for for more and stay relevant and stay up because the projects are not going to come to you <laughs> i think you also know that <laughs> and yeah so stay connected stay on the top of the of your competences and your knowledge and yeah and trying to see where you can you can contribute yeah is there something you are doing today in your job that you yeah. will not be doing in 10 years i don't know like i also have a friend that has started his own consulting business at the same time as me and he's more into the corporate consulting so he company advise companies how to integrate sustainability i'm more on the finance side and we always talk between us like we are always exchanging He has more taken away of like building his own company. He already, he already has hired for people and he's really building his new consulting firm. And for me, I'm more like, I don't really want to build a company. I mean, I don't really want to be a manager of, I think I really like what I do. So I kind of see more of myself as an independent consultant, like a carpenter. Like uh, maybe I'm going to have an intern and I'm getting some sort of mentorship going on there. But I don't see myself like, I really like what I do. So I don't see myself outsourcing maybe Yeah, maybe like reviewing the typos in the language of the documents. Yeah. <laughs> What is the trend to watch out for in the water sector? It's a good question. That's a good question. I mean, for me, the bigger picture is how water is going to become more uh, part of the climate sustainable discussions, because I think eventually it will be one of the main as big as carbon now. But that's a bit of a long term. And yeah, I think the valuation part is interesting as well, because since the market condition is going to change, the liquidity is going to be probably uh, withdrawn from the central banks. How this is going to affect valuation and how this is going to affect financing. That's going to be interesting. I, I cannot <laughs> avoid that sidetrack. Yeah, sorry. I go for it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know, I see you want it. <laughs> Have you followed the story of the natural asset companies, which the Dow Jones is putting in place together, I think, with the Rockefeller Foundation? Okay. So you could be putting on the market one of the nature services. The idea yeah. being that the first industry there is in the world mm -hmm. is nature, by far bigger than anything That's else, true, because yeah. it's providing yeah. services. 100%. And if you can put a value on that, you can raise money to go to together with this value. And that money that you raise will allow you to preserve yeah. these assets 100%. of nature. Yeah. And then it's not something like you can invest in in a natural park and then exit from it. Exit won't happen. Yeah. But If you do the right preservation move, then the, the natural asset company will have a raise in valuation, yeah. and then you can. Yeah, I mean, I didn't look, I didn't know this particularly. I'm going to look it up, but I think it's the same story for carbon credits. Like if a forest or a park or marine park can get some financing by issuing carbon credits from the forest it has, then it can use this financing to 
preserve its own park. I think that's a great tool. And that brings the liquidity, which you were yeah, mentioning. Yeah, that, 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 that provides a liquid. That provides the cash and liquidity for the park to uh, to just conserve. I mean, to patrol. If it's a marine park, you need to pa- uh, constant patrolling. I mean, also not normal park in Africa. I mean, poaching is such a big big issue that uh, even if you have laws, you need uh, to spend a lot of money on patrolling. But it can also be. Uh, I mean, you need to be careful with this because it can also backfire. I mean, I've seen stories where. Uh, some some farmers in UK or some park developers were squeezed out because suddenly this forest has generated cash flows and then the, some banks or asset managers want to buy them to, ac- to have access to these money streams and they might not have the desire to protect or put this cash flow into forest protection. So It's w- always hard to walk that very fine line. I, I already yeah. t- told that story on that microphone, yeah. but I was giving a conference in, in a university yeah. in, in France and at the end of the conference, not the students, but a lot of the professors just stood up and said, you're like you're supporting the capitalist devil yeah. and uh, and you should not mix water, sustainability, environment on yeah. one hand and finance, money and investment on the other hand. Those two well, words should be excluded one from the other. Well, I think it's the whole discussion is sustainability. Like, I mean, I think capitalism for as a system of society for the last 250 years or so was working really well until it met planetary boundaries. I mean, it was working well for fringe of the population. You all have a lot of social issues underneath of that that is, needs to be fixed as well. But now it's how do you change, how do you adapt the system? Should we just forego all finance? I mean, is that even possible? Can we switch from this to another system? Or you try to find concrete and some solution on the spot. So those carbon credits, they might be some greenwashing there might be some bullshit but then they also can bring money to on the table to to finance the conservation of the park so mixed feeling yeah. as a summary yeah yeah <laughs> i mean i think i see it. it's like any tool i mean you can build a it's about tool. what you do about it yeah. what's what you do about it yeah i think that's the bottom line yeah let me bring you back on track. Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> <laughs> and sorry for the sidetrack. I couldn't no, no, resist. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> if you were a world political leader, yeah. what would be your first action to influence the fate of the world's water challenges? Good question. Yeah, I think education about water. I think it's important really trying to understand and show how water is really important for everything, for not only for business and the economy, but also for everything we do. Yeah, I think in investing in awareness and education can do can go. Uh, a long way in, because I think and I, that's what I see from what I write is when people have this haha moment then it becomes quite clear it's, you see everything as a, in a new way and how everything is dependent on water so I think if you can support education and awareness you can go a long way because I think there's going to be a need to a shift in mentality and a shift in mindset to because a lot, there's still a lot of people that don't want to see the problems at hand and say, oh, we can we can ignore it a bit longer. Th- that's the thing of the full word of, of SAS, where yeah. you have you can have your full funnel. But the yeah. important thing is the activation metric. And there is one single activation metric, which yeah. is going to be exactly this aha me- moment you, yeah. you mentioned. And it's true that if we can yeah. activate that and find out what is this activation metric so that everybody sees, yeah. like you, you break the halo effect and uh, you all of a sudden realize that... Yeah, you break uh, the fantasy, though. yeah. That water is, I mean, water is everything is an empty sentence, but yeah. the consequences of not water or too much water yeah. or too few. And well, that, yeah. well I, I think sooner or later, uh, this is going to happen. The, uh, the goal is to make sure it happens soon enough. Would you have someone to recommend me that I should definitely invite as soon as possible on that microphone? Do you know Frank Barroso from Waterpreneur in Lausanne? 
It's, it's a company based in Lausanne. They organize water conference, water events, where they bring a lot of new startups and financiers together to, and also um, a lot of people connected to water together to see if they can match some stuff. So yeah, maybe try with them, yeah. And if people want to follow up with you, let's say I'm an asset manager and yeah. all of a sudden I clicked because I listened yeah. to you during this full hour. Yeah. <laughs> well, shall I? I'm reachable on LinkedIn. As I said, there's a lot of, I write a lot there on a daily basis, so I can be reached there or through my website, yeah. So as usual, the yeah, links the, would be I'm in the notes. Yeah, pretty traditional for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very good, Nicolas. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for the invitation again. And see you probably next year. Yeah, I will be there. <laughs> <laughs> we can go, we can have a podcast outside next time. That's that's yeah, right that's by the, the river step. by the yeah, riverside so, i mean yeah, we can have a podcast near the water yeah okay <laughs> or in the water if you so want. the next one is a zurich lake podcast yeah sounds good sounds good yeah. <laughs> thanks for listening to don't waste water this podcast was brought to you by gf piping systems loved this episode head over to apple podcast to subscribe rate and leave a review see you next time